most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. Thursday, April 14th, 2022, the 449th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Now, before we get started, it's important to remind you that this show is in part sponsored by the great people at the great American company, MyPillow. So if you want to make your home more comfortable, go to MyPillow.com, plug in the promo code REASONABLE, and you can save like 60% on all sorts of different things to make your life more comfortable. And if you order, you'll get a free gift, which currently is Mike Lindell's autobiography in softcover form. Now, I sleep every night on a MyPillow mattress pad the Giza Dream Sheets, and a bunch of my pillows just floating all around my head. And I have to say, it's pretty nice. So if you'd like a similar experience, you know how to do it. Go to MyPillow.com, type in reasonable in the promo code box, and you will be supporting this show. You'll be supporting an American hero in Mike Lindell and a great American company in my pillow. So if you've listened to the show for a while, you will understand that I believe We are engaged in a high-level information war on a global scale. And if you want to know who is succeeding in that information war, one of the ways you can do that is watch how the narrative shifts, which direction it's heading in. And I've argued for a long time that the narrative is continually day by day shifting in our favor. We are destroying the mainstream narratives all the time. And as we gain more control of the narrative, the public perception shifts in our favor. And while I don't put a whole lot of stock in the raw numbers of any given poll, the shifts in the polling trends do tell us something about the public perception. And right now, the public perception of the fake administration has hit an all-time low. The results of a Quinnipiac poll were released Yesterday in the afternoon, the New York Post has a solid write up on it this morning. Joe Biden is now at 33 percent overall. Only 33 percent of Americans approve of the job the fake president is doing. And of course, that is propped up by overwhelming support from Democrats and Democrats only. 
And these numbers will continue to get worse because the fake administration pretends that these numbers don't exist. It could be a result of the information bubble that they are trapped in. They don't trust any information from outside that bubble. And they have an echo chamber within that bubble that continues to convince them that everything is fine, even though the entire thing is burning down around them. And so they continue to double down on failed narratives and failed policies, and they continue to advertise to everyone that all of this stuff is still going great, exactly as planned. All the problems are someone else's fault. They're Donald Trump's fault or they're Vladimir Putin's fault or they're our fault because, you know, we're domestic terrorists. And the longer they continue down that path, the easier it is for everyone outside of their little echo chamber, their little bubble, to see that they are lying about everything. And the more people pick up on that fact, the harder it becomes for the administration to sell anything to the country. And they are completely caught in a narrative death spiral now. Quinnipiac is a pretty liberal poll, and they are saying that only one out of every three people think Joe Biden is doing a good job. If you don't have the courage to talk in public about how Joe Biden is by far the worst president in American history and also just completely illegitimate, I don't know what to tell you. You might be surrounded by too many Democrats because otherwise your point of view is going to be the majority opinion in almost every situation. The poll has Biden at 26% approval among independents. And there's no indication that these numbers are going to turn around. They have continued to decline since Joe Biden assumed the office of fake president. It's now to the point where you can't even imagine a scenario where these numbers would start to come back for him. But you can imagine many scenarios where it will continue to get worse. And I would argue that first among these scenarios would be the total eradication of the censorship regime. And I've said this a bunch of times, but imagine what the public would believe right now if there was no censorship. Censorship is what makes the propaganda effective. It's what allows the propaganda state media to control the public narrative, but they are losing that control and they may be very close to losing it entirely. And I say that because, as you're probably aware, Elon Musk submitted a letter today outlining his intent to purchase all of Twitter. We talked last week about how he bought 70 million some odd shares of Twitter, acquiring a 9.2% stake in the company. He was initially offered a board seat and then turned it down after realizing that that purchase and a spot on Twitter's board wouldn't allow him to make the changes he feels Twitter needs to advance into the future. Here is the letter that he submitted. I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. However, 
Since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I am offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $54.20 per share in cash, a 54% premium over the day before I began investing in Twitter and a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. My offer is my best and final offer. And if it is not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. And he goes on in a separate message. As I indicated this weekend, I believe that the company should be private to go through the changes that need to be made. After the past several days of thinking this over, I have decided I want to acquire the company and take it private. I'm going to send you an offer letter tonight. It will be public in the morning. Are you available to chat? This is to the chairman of the Twitter board. Best and final, I am not playing the back and forth game. I have moved straight to the end. It's a high price and your shareholders will love it. If the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. This is not a threat. It's simply not a good investment without the changes that need to be made. And those changes won't happen without taking the company private. My advisors and my team are available after you get the letter to answer any questions. There will be more detail in our public filings. After you receive the letter and review the public filings, your team can call my family office with any questions. So this is what one might call a power move. And Twitter immediately called for a meeting with the board of directors and then an all hands meeting for employees today to discuss the possibility of Elon Musk buying the entire company and taking it private. This would be potentially an earth-shattering development in the information environment. Now, I think everybody has good reason not to simply take everything Elon Musk says at face value or fully trust his motivations. But if he's telling the truth, then his priority here is to open Twitter up and restore its status as a platform for free speech. It is not a platform for free speech at all right now. They banned the president of the United States of America from posting on their platform. The sitting president. You could actually argue that banning a sitting president and cutting off his ability to immediately communicate with the American public is actually a national security issue. And that's particularly true because they did it to help preserve a stolen election and a soft coup against the duly elected American president. And they did it partially on behalf of foreign and multinational stakeholders. And they did that in the wake of suppressing the New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop, suppressing any discussion of the Hunter Biden laptop. They were already suppressing anything that went against the COVID-19 narrative. And they did it despite the fact that the lockdowns that were put in place as the primary mitigation response 
to the very deadly pandemic were wreaking havoc in society. Those lockdowns were devastating. They've pushed hundreds of millions of people in the world into extreme poverty. The death toll on that decision alone is incalculable. Twitter and the other social media platforms made themselves complicit in crimes against the United States of America and crimes against humanity. And they were doing this after having already been banning users, Alex Jones and Milo back in the day. And then people who were in the Q community, people who were in the broader truth community, people who were simply telling the truth online got banned because the truth was too dangerous. I myself got banned in late October of 2020 from Twitter. And then not too long after that, I got banned from Instagram. Good times. And they do all that while still allowing pornography, content that violates copyright laws and malicious hate speech, so long as it's in the proper direction to remain on the platform. They weaponized one of the most powerful tools for the distribution of information, and they did it only on one side. And the banning of users and the direct censorship is only part of that equation because they have an algorithm that prioritizes certain content over other content to skew people's perception of the information environment. And I've talked about that a couple of times recently, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But if Elon takes that over and he opens up free speech on Twitter, all of these journalists, so-called the blue anon people, all of the crazy conspiracy theorists with the blue check marks next to their name on Twitter, who, for instance, still think that Trump colluded with Russia and that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. Well, these people are going to lose everything. The world is just going to come crashing down around them. They have existed for far too long in an information environment where they go almost entirely unchallenged. When people in the comments say mean things to them, they just block them or report them. And that's when they actually see those comments. A lot of the time, the algorithm just makes sure that doesn't happen or bot armies are released to battle the people who are saying all the naughty things in the comments. All of these people who are proponents of the global communist agenda on Twitter, and that's basically everybody with a blue check mark at this point. Well, they're all going to be exposed as liars and frauds and people who actually don't know anything. They are only able to compete on a battlefield that is so tilted in their favor that no one else can even compete. They depend on the censorship to support the propaganda. And Glenn Greenwald noted, interestingly, the other day that all of this is done under the guise of content moderation. They're not calling it what it really is, which is censorship. He wrote content moderation is the Orwellian euphemism which corporate journalists and liberals, excuse the redundancy, have created for the term censorship. And without complete control over the legacy media platforms, the censorship regime collapses. This is their greatest weapon. The legacy social media platforms collectively, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, 
And I guess you can argue Google's search feed because of the degree of manipulation on there. These collectively are like the Death Star. And Elon Musk right now is basically just Luke Skywalker flying in to destroy it. I think Greenwald's point is interesting, though, because we have come to see censorship as nothing more than content moderation. And we think that content moderation is a necessity on these platforms so that we don't have hate speech, for instance, or speech that is violent because most decent, reasonable people don't want to participate in hateful speech or violent rhetoric. And so we all just basically said, yeah, okay, I get it. Go ahead and you can moderate that content, you know, for that stuff. And of course, the next step in a communist regime is always to begin redefining everything as hate speech and violent rhetoric. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. And that gives them the power to censor all kinds of content that aren't themselves hateful or violent. If you contest the COVID narrative, you are going against the science. And the result of going against the science might be that you've killed someone's grandmother. So an argument you make on purely valid scientific grounds all of a sudden becomes violent rhetoric. If you say that Black Lives Matter Antifa burning down cities and rioting and looting and actually committing violent acts in the real world, if you say that any of that is bad, well, then you apparently don't care about black lives. And so that's hate speech. If you say that it's obvious that Joe Biden didn't get 81 million real legal American votes, well, then you're a proponent of the big lie. And the big lie is what caused the very violent insurrection on January 6th, 2021. And so that's violent rhetoric. And so anything along those lines can be censored and rationalized as nothing more than content moderation for the purpose of maintaining a healthy public conversation. And we could imagine in the dystopian future that they are trying to bring upon us that one day we might see the CDC giving guidelines for speech, telling us what sort of speech contributes to a healthy public conversation and which sort of things you're just not allowed to say, because then you would make the entire conversation very sick. And it's not just the social media companies deciding what to censor and what not to censor. They're actually getting input from a whole range of people and entities that have decided for themselves. They are the arbiters of what is allowed to be discussed in public. For instance, yesterday, the CEO of the video platform Rumble published a couple of emails that he received from a quote-unquote journalist at The Globe and Mail. These are the two emails from The Globe and Mail reporter to Rumble CEO Chris Pavlovsky. The reporter, Joe Castaldo, writes, It's Joe Castaldo from The Globe and Mail. I'm working on an article about RT's account on Rumble. That's Russia Television. And... Some of the other content about Russia, Ukraine on Rumble. I'm hoping you can comment on the following. 
Governments and other observers have branded RT, a Russian state-owned news network, as a Russian propaganda outlet. Since the war in Ukraine began, social media sites such as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify have sought to block or limit content from RT. As a result, RT has directed people to its Rumble account. Its number of subscribers has increased four times since early March. Has Rumble taken any steps to limit, block, and restrict content from RT on its platform, similar to YouTube, Facebook, etc.? If not, can you elaborate on why? YouTube also announced a policy to prohibit content denying, minimizing, or trivializing well-documented violent events in connection to Russia's war in Ukraine. Some prominent creators on Rumble, such as Stu Peters and Alex Jones, have produced videos mirroring Russian government propaganda with respect to Ukraine. This includes videos claiming attacks on Ukrainian towns and cities could be false flags, downplaying civilian casualties in Ukraine, and that Russians are fighting Nazis in Ukraine. Does Rumble have any plan to enact policies similar to YouTube to deal with such content? I'll need a reply by tomorrow at 4.30 in order to meet my deadline. Happy to chat in the meantime. And then he follows up with another email. Hi, Chris. I have a bit more time with the article, and I want to follow up to see if Rumble has any comment about RT's account and content. I also spoke to a couple of sources who are critical of Rumble allowing RT on its platform. The CEO of the Center for Countering Digital Hate, a UK nonprofit, said that Rumble is doing, quote, Putin a big favor by hooking its users up to a steady drip feed of Kremlin lies and propaganda. Ahmed Al-Rawi, an assistant professor at Simon Fraser University who studies disinformation, said that Rumble will not moderate content because then it would not be profitable. He said Rumble's business model relies on, quote, fringe groups who disseminate conspiracy theories and disinformation under the pretext of freedom of expression. Again, I'm hoping you can comment. I'm aware Rumble posted a statement on its Twitter feed in early March when RT started live streaming on the site. And I'm wondering if you have more to add since then. Please let me know. I'll need a response by 4 p.m. tomorrow in that case. Thanks again. Now, the Center for Countering Digital Hate is a UK-based left-wing activist group. And on their own website, they say they are a not-for-profit, non-governmental organization, an NGO, that is funded by philanthropic trusts and members of the public. I wonder which side of that equation most of the money comes in from. I would guess it's from the philanthropic trusts. But what we essentially have is some of the world's most powerful people aligned with the global communist agenda, funding a left-wing advocacy group with a very legitimate, heroic-sounding name, and these very charitable philanthropists decide what must not be said online. They launder this information through this NGO that produces a study. They have experts on the case. And then those experts communicate these censorship initiatives directly to the platforms. Or they go through journalists. Now, those emails from the Globe and Mail sound like a direct threat to Rumble. If you don't do this, we're going to try to destroy your brand. You need to censor RT, just like the legacy social media platforms do.
or we'll just spread the narrative that you are purveyors of Russian propaganda and that your business wouldn't be profitable except for the fact that you are one of the main outlets for spreading disinformation on the internet. There's this massive market for disinformation and you guys are the ones selling it. Now that is some truly bizarre world stuff when you consider how much money Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube actually make off of spreading disinformation to the public. And then think about how many corporations use those legacy social media platforms as their primary advertising outlets. But here's the response from Rumble's CEO, Chris Pavlovsky. There is a reason the public has radically turned against both the corporate media, such as your outlet, and big tech. Because you have arrogantly claimed for yourselves the power to decide for the public what information they can and cannot be trusted to hear and what views they can and cannot express. By contrast, the reason Rumble is growing so rapidly is because we trust adults to make decisions for themselves about what ideas they can express and we trust them to make up their own minds after hearing all sides. And that scenario is what the global communists fear more than any other. Again, the censorship and propaganda that are basically two sides of the same coin, the censorship regime overall, that is their best weapon in the information war. And now they're facing the real threat of that weapon being taken off the battlefield for them. And they are melting down, as you might expect. But before we get to that meltdown, there's just one more thing I want to add to this. And Emerald Robinson put this out on her Substack a couple days ago, the collapse of corporate media and citizen free press. One way we can measure the collapse of the corporate media business in America is to compare their audience numbers to independent media outlets with tiny budgets and very few staff. In the case of citizen free press, we're talking about only one man typing headlines on a site with no ads and no budget. And it's now the fifth largest news service, according to web traffic, in the United States. That sounds impossible, of course, but it's true. Citizen Free Press gets more traffic than the Wall Street Journal and Politico. That's twice as much traffic as ABC News. That's 50% more traffic than NBC News. That's not the only interesting piece of news about the corporate media's collapse contained in this web traffic report that she's referencing. Did you know that Gateway Pundit gets more traffic than CBS News? Did you know that Breitbart gets more traffic than NBC News? Did you know that Zero Hedge gets more traffic than ABC News? The legacy broadcast networks are in deep trouble, particularly with the move in TV from cable to streaming services. I talked with the man behind Citizen Free Press, who goes by the name of Kane, on several occasions recently. He was offered $40 million for his site just last year. What's it worth this year? He told me probably $100 million. How is it possible that he is competing and beating media outlets with thousands of employees? According to Kane, the corporate media outlets are boring. They all do the same version of the same story in the same way. He's right, of course. Kane told me a few other interesting tidbits. Citizen Free Press is located somewhere in Indiana. It's all word of mouth and independent and organic. He doesn't want to monetize it right now. He doesn't want to be a pundit and he doesn't want to be a celebrity either. 
He raises money by fundraising from his readers once or twice per year. Kane started Citizen Free Press before Matt Drudge turned on President Trump. He wants to surpass Drudge one day in terms of web traffic. That's his goal. Kane told me that he has worked every day for five years to make it happen. I wouldn't bet against him, that's for sure. Could one man have a bigger audience than the New York Times eventually? Could one conservative do that all by himself? I wouldn't bet against him. Now, Citizen Free Press is basically just a news aggregator. It's very bare bones. There's no fancy graphics. It's just link after link after link after link. And it's the sort of thing that you glance at, you read a few headlines, you click into what you're interested in. But people are using that because it curates information for them that actually matters to them. And I bring this up because you can see that the business model, the legacy media business model is already failing with the censorship in place. If that censorship goes away, what do they have left? Pretty much nothing. So Axios is leading the charge in the absolute freak out about this today, about the Elon Musk news. And Felix Salmon wrote an article this morning with the headline, Elon Musk goes into full goblin mode. Now, Axios is a ridiculous journalism site because they don't really write articles. They just have a series of bullet points that are meant to communicate to the reader that they have refined all the information into only the most important points, and they're going to give it to you in tiny little doses so that you feel you know everything after doing the amount of work it takes to read four or five tweets. So here's the article. The Goblin is serious. Why it matters. The world's richest man, someone who used to be compared to Marvel's Iron Man, is increasingly behaving like a movie supervillain, commanding seemingly unlimited resources with which to finance his mischief making. So he used to be Iron Man, but he's not anymore. And my buddy Josh Lacash put out a series of uh, posts this morning about how these liberals basically relate everything in the world to Marvel movies which should tell you something about their level of seriousness and also how much respect they have for their audience. They're like, oh, well, we're basically talking to people who are obsessed with comic book superhero movies, but also obsessed with seeming like they know things about important subjects. Back to the article, the big picture. Here you go. Now's when the important information comes out. Elon Musk has decided he wants to take Twitter private at 54.20 per share, assuming he can get anticipated financing in place. In a 138-word offer letter to Twitter board chair Brett Taylor that includes the word I or my 11 different times, Musk writes, Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. And thank goodness they did the math on how often different words appear. Flashback. Elon Musk recently referred to himself as being in goblin mode when he took a 9.1% stake in Twitter and started tweeting manically about things like converting its headquarters to a homeless shelter. Now, I don't know what was manic about Elon's series of tweets about his purchase of a stake in Twitter. And I'm sure Felix Salmon 
doesn't know the answer to that question either. But it's important to make Elon look like the bad guy. It's also strange that he wrote 9.1% stake because we often hear it as a 9.2% stake. Threat level. Musk can be a very dangerous beast when goblin mode is enabled. I'm kind of getting the sense that Felix Salmon wants to be ravaged by Elon Musk. You're going to hear much more about this bid than you would about a normal proposed M&A transaction, in large part because Twitter is where journalists congregate and do a lot of their work, and they really, in italics, don't want to be working in Elon Musk's private playpen. Reality check. Musk claims his offer is best and final, which will make it easier for Twitter's board to reject it. Twitter shares were trading above the proposed takeover price as recently as October. Well, hey, buddy, that is like six months ago. A lot has changed since then. And although Musk is close to co-founder and board member Jack Dorsey, it's hard to imagine there's a level of goodwill toward him in the Twitter boardroom that would militate in favor of accepting his extremely vague offer. The bottom line. There will be distractions ahead, wrote Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal after Musk decided not to join the Twitter board. This outcome was generally considered a low probability worst case scenario. Now it's here. So that's the very intellectual take on the scary monster that is Elon Musk. Journalists really don't want to do their job in Elon Musk's private playpen. Now, it's funny because no one at any point has encouraged the censorship of those Blue Anon journalists. Despite the number of conspiracy theories they've spread, despite the amount of medical misinformation they've spread that has led to the death and destruction of literally tens of millions of lives, no one is trying to get them censored. And no one is suggesting that Elon Musk should censor them when he takes over Twitter, if he does. The journalists aren't worried about being censored. They're worried about playing in Elon Musk's playpen. Because Elon Musk has said publicly that he's interested in opening Twitter up as a free speech platform. That is the playpen these journalists don't want to do their very important work in. And you got to consider what a Blue Anon journalist's work is these days. They write an article here or there about this or that subject, and they give the state-approved narrative every time they write an article. They are representing the trusted voice of the authoritative source. But then they basically spend the rest of their time on Twitter interacting with their fellow Blue Anon journalists and trying to make friends and get retweets from celebrities because the journalists want to feel like they're celebrities and the celebrities want to be taken seriously. And so to do that, they show themselves interacting with journalists and social media politicians like AOC. They're all trying to increase their status within the party of false decorum. And they are very happy and very comfortable to do that within their little bubble. It is fully controlled. 
for their benefit by the people in power, some of the most powerful people and entities, companies in the entire world. They're controlling the information stream on legacy social media for the benefit of those who propagandize for them. They try to make the censorship and propaganda regime function as efficiently as possible to deliver them the narrative results they want. They want to shift public opinion constantly in their direction, and it is already failing. So the journalists do not want to compete on an even playing field. So they are painting Elon Musk as a monster. He's going to be the one that destroys the health of the public conversation. But Elon Musk is not the monster they're actually scared of. The monster they're actually scared of is all of the people who have been banned. It would be bad enough if all of us were back on the platform. And I'm talking about everybody from Donald Trump to Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones to people like me who have some small public voice and have been banned to just regular Americans who were banned and censored for expressing their own opinions to their 50 or 100 or 200 followers. They don't want any of that back on the platform. But even beyond that, they are deathly afraid of losing the effect of the algorithms. They do not want to compete in a free and open marketplace of ideas because they cannot compete in a free and open marketplace of ideas. They're not interested in a meritocracy. They're interested in credentials and status seeking. And once they have achieved the credentials and the status, they do not want to face any challenge or argument. And isn't it amazing how often communist ideals align just so happen to exist in people who do not want to compete because they know they can't compete. They want to limit the range of ideas that are even available for discussion. And here is some pretty insane reaction today on Twitter from popular Blue Anon people. Here's Max Boot, that clown, who used to pretend to be conservative, by the way. I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. You got that? If we have free speech, we will lose our democracy. And it's always important to remember that our democracy means society under the global world order. Every place they've implemented it must be preserved. It's hard enough to implement their system in the first place. They can't risk it going away in a particular country and trying to have to put it back. That's what they're involved in right now. As Trump was able to strip parts of it away over the four years he was president as agreed to by the mainstream media. I mean, he did win the 2020 election and nothing leading up to the inauguration of Joe Biden was legitimate. It was all a product of fraud. So Donald Trump is essentially still president. It's just that the media disagrees and enough of society has agreed to go along with what the television says. Max Boot is totally in favor of more censorship. Here's a great one from a guy named David Levitt. 
who describes himself as an award-winning multimedia journalist. If Elon Musk successfully purchases Twitter, it could result in World War III and the destruction of our planet. That is, that is phenomenal. And in a strange sense, he might be right. If the censorship weapon is removed from the battlefield, the global communists will quickly run out of options. And it is actually possible that they could launch a series of terrorist attacks that result in all out war. Now, let's hope that doesn't happen. I am of the opinion that the people in charge of the worldwide resistance to global communism have planned for these eventualities. But there may still be some glimmer of intelligence in what this communist is saying. Now, this is a fantastic one from the Blue Anon conspiracy theorist who is the self-imagined expert on all things QAnon, you know, the made-up group, the made-up conspiracy theory that attempts to discredit anyone speaking out against the central narrative. He writes, Twitter works because it has limits, terms of service, rules. A free speech board where anything goes will immediately be infested by spam, scams, racism, Nazis, trolls with nothing else to do and hate speech. It would be worthless and impossible to use. Twitter already has issues with racism, misogyny, conspiracy theories and trolling. A hostile takeover by a free speech troll would destroy the company and make its shares radioactive. Free speech is the bedrock of a functional democracy. Online free speech, where anything is allowed, turns everything it touches into a toxic shithole. And who could know more about toxic shitholes than a guy trying to stifle free speech, a man who thinks he's an expert on a conspiracy theory that isn't real, who has made a career out of spreading the actual conspiracy theory. And just so happens to have the last name Rothschild. It's funny that with all his digging into conspiracy theories, he doesn't understand the effect of bots and troll accounts and fake accounts on what he perceives as toxicity on free speech sites. You could talk about 4chan and 8chan and 8kun, for instance, truly free speech sites where people are anonymous and they say whatever they want. and Truly, anything goes. The idea that those sites aren't infiltrated by bots and people who are intentionally posting incendiary content to make it look like that's what the boards are all about. Well, that's just patently not true. And someone who is such an expert in these subjects should be well aware of that. These people are simply afraid of being exposed for who and what they are, and also for how bad and dumb and harmful their ideas actually are. But they're not going to say that. So instead, they're going to paint themselves as the heroes and say that what they're really doing is not protecting the censorship regime. What they're doing is protecting the marginalized. They're protecting women. They're protecting minorities. They're protecting our democracy. But all of that is nonsense. And those narratives are being delivered by people who are provably wrong about almost 
everything for years on end. Imagine being one of them. Imagine saying false things on the Internet was your career. Imagine receiving status and money for lying on the Internet and causing the divisions in our society. I mean, on our side, we might be wrong from time to time. We might speculate. And the thing that we have speculated turns out not to happen. That certainly happens. Everybody can be wrong. But I don't think anyone suspects that those of us on this side who are speaking publicly about all of these subjects are somehow doing so for the benefit of corporations. But these people are. They're literally only seeking money and status, and they will say anything to increase their power. So Elon Musk was doing an interview for this year's TED conference, and he talked a bit about his mindset in these moves he's making regarding Twitter. And a good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like. And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning uh, free speech situation. And of course, he's exactly right. It doesn't matter how many times our betters tell us. It is not free speech if we're only allowed to say the things that other people are okay with. My, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. But you've, um, you've described I, yourself. I, I don't care about the economics at all. Okay, that's that's cool to hear. Now, if he's being honest about that, that's about as powerful a statement as you can make. He wants the platform to be maximally trusted, broadly inclusive, and he does not care about the economics of it at all. He is more than happy to buy all of Twitter and open it up to free speech. And he seems perfectly willing to lose money to do that if that's what it takes. Now, considering Twitter has been losing money for a very long time because of the censorship and because of the direction the platform has taken, I think it's probably unlikely that Elon Musk moving toward a more free speech oriented environment would harm Twitter's value in any way. But in the short term, it probably would. You can imagine a lot of high profile users might leave the platform in protest, although one wonders where they might go. On our side, free speech platforms have been popping up left and right. You've got Parler and Gab and Getter and Truth Social and Rumble and even places like Minds and Clout Hub that haven't quite taken that next step. And of course, we have the greatest platform, Telegram. Although Telegram has some issues as well. But the communists and Blue Anons, they don't have any of that. The legacy social media platforms are their home. They think they can control everything there. Where are they going to go if Twitter becomes a free speech platform? 
We had to adjust because we were literally being oppressed. Okay. Our ability to speak our own ideas and join the public conversation was taken from us. Our voices have been minimized to the fullest extent possible. And yet we're still here and we are still winning the day every day in terms of the narrative shift. Where are these people going to go when Twitter is no longer their safe space? There are very few things that could set this world back on the right path faster than eradicating the censorship. And if Elon Musk is able to do that either on Twitter or by forcing the hand of these people, then he's going to go down as a hero. So since he put this offer letter out this morning, it seems that Vanguard has increased their position on Twitter so that they are now the largest stakeholder. They have bought more of Twitter than Elon Musk currently owns. And that seems pretty obviously to be a counter move to preserve the global powers hold on the censorship weapon. And we were also blessed this morning with a couple of tweets from Prince Alwaleed Ben Talal of the Saudi royal family who announced that he would reject Musk's offer. And it's interesting that he has entered the conversation in this manner. Now, it is widely rumored and most likely true that he funded Barack Obama's rise from Harvard on. And he is certainly a major donor to many of the global communist causes. He also, along with Bill Gates, owns the Four Seasons Hotel that encompasses the top few floors of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. And just interestingly, and probably not related at all, that's the hotel where from one of the upper floors, the Las Vegas Massacre gunman slash Patsy, Stephen Paddock, is said to have gone on a rampant killing spree. And Awalid bin Talal is also considered to be a rival of Muhammad bin Salman. But that's all just probably random information. I mean, I am a conspiracy theorist after all. Now, before I leave the Elon Musk subject for today, I do want to play one interesting clip from Cash Patel that gives us some insight into an aspect of Elon Musk's professional profile that we might not all just naturally understand. And a hat tip to my friend Patel Patriot for posting this today. When I was over at DOD, we gave this guy... That's Department of Defense. Uh, yeah, sorry. Or Dodd. Yeah. <laughs> he is doing some cool stuff yeah. in space and everything. He's doing a ton of stuff that you would think is so global. He is literally launching this thing called Satlink, which almost no one knows about, but he's been building for five years, wow. which is free Wi-Fi for the world. Which is amazing. The world. It's going to change everything. And, and there again, no one's talking about it. You think the Democrats would be championing this like, oh, I can be in Central Sahara, Africa and get Wi-Fi on my $3 million phone. Yeah. You know, but they're not. And if you've actually watched one of these satellite link uploads, it's like a string of pearls being dropped in the night sky. It's really cool. I mean, we're all paying for it. This is why he's so rich. The yeah. DOD's biggest like contractor is Elon Musk. That's right. Oh. <laughs> Very interesting. 
Interesting. I just learned something. I didn't. I'll never get hired from him now. Can you edit that? (laughs) So Elon Musk has a satellite system that is meant to give everyone free Internet all the time, everywhere in the world. And now he wants to acquire one of the primary legacy social media sites and turn it into a free speech venue. Now, again, who knows if we can actually trust Elon Musk and trust the positions he's taking on all this stuff. It is an extraordinary amount of power for one person to possess. There is no question about that. But if he's serious on all this and everybody is going to have free Internet right to their device anywhere in the world and they're going to be able to have one of the most popular platforms and constant access to legitimate free speech, well, that's an information weapon that the global communists simply cannot contend with. So I don't know how this thing shakes out. A lot remains to be seen, but this could be an extraordinarily significant event, not only for the times we're in, but in world history, honestly. If the entire world was able to connect instantly in an open marketplace of ideas, that could be how we create an environment in which the truth can spread constantly, in which the truth becomes undeniable. And this might be the result. I'm going to pull the whole thing down. I'm going to bring the whole fucking diseased, corrupt temple down on your head. It's got to be biblical. Let's see if it happens. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!